0: There will be um, various texts today, but for the reading, <clears throat> I'll be reading from Psalm 24, verse 1. So this morning, we'll read uh, Psalm 24, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick up a pew Bible and turn to page 428. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the word of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's end, the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When I graduated college a a way back, I remember being excited to start my first full-time job as a teacher, history teacher. And... Being excited to start my adult life as a brand new teacher before the fall semester started as the summer was coming to an end before I got my first paycheck. With my rationale of getting ready, guess what I did? I went shopping. Now, it's reasonable to buy some clothes. I mean, after all, you're, you want to be presentable. but on that particular Saturday morning, I don't know what possessed me, what took me, took hold of me, but I bought more clothes, pants, jackets, socks, shirts, ties, just to name a few. I didn't count what I had. I thought to myself, well, you know, when I get my first paycheck, I'll be able to pay this off and just continue my life. I didn't consider all the other elements of moving into your first apartment. Hey, you need certain basic stuff for your kitchen, to your living room, bathroom, bedroom, just to name a few. And what I thought would take me maybe like the first month or so to pay off my debt, took me many, many months. And all of this happened while You know, I was staying in touch with my close friends, especially my best friend, who kept me accountable to various uh, arenas of my life. Um, But this part, I kept to myself. I was ashamed. And all of this because I wasn't content with what I already had, or I didn't think things through. I spent money I didn't have because I thought to myself, well, I deserve this you know, I finally get to do what I want. After all, this is money that I'm earning. And uh, when I go through Thanksgiving, I go through this (laughs) regularly because it's a painful reminder. Many things I'm thankful for, but also a painful lesson that God taught me my first adult Thanksgiving. My heart was heavy and my Thanksgiving and Christmas were not as joyful or free and liberating as I wanted it to be. Besides a slice of pecan or whatever pie, I always taste this uh, slice of humble pie every Thanksgiving as I look back to God's faithfulness. One of the issues that we as Christians face when we live 2022, or whenever you live, is this kind of a difference of worldview between cultural worldview that we live in today versus biblical worldview on money. Now, a worldview is basically an overall perspective in which you see and interpret the world. A biblical worldview allows you to recognize what? That God owns everything, that God owns my money, and therefore, I am a steward, a manager, However, the cultural worldview tells us that my money is mine and I get to do whatever I want when I want. And we hear this again and again because these smartphones to whatever things we turn on reminds us with this message. So the idea, the biblical idea of God's ownership is at best taught to us once in a while. God's ownership in the Bible is very clear. The passage we read and passage we probably heard before in Psalm 24, the psalmist reminds us that earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. In 1 Chronicles 29, 14, it reiterates this reality as it says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. Psalmist again reminds us in um, Psalm 50, verses 9 through 12. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Scripture is clear that God owns the earth and all the rest of creation. I think for the most part, when we read these verses and we hear these words, we generally don't have a problem recognizing God's ownership, especially when Scripture speaks of God owning all the animals, all the land, all that is His possession, I think the challenge comes when we need to shift from God's ownership of all things to God's ownership of my wallet, my bank account, whatever's in our homes, the personal possession. You see, God never transferred ownership from his to ours. It's always his. We just get to temporarily manage what he has entrusted us. When the Israelites were led out of Egypt, God had to warn them of the ease and the temptation to be confused about this. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 through 20, it reads, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Continues, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. And here's verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes you, makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. There is this real temptation and danger that lurks around us, that traps us into believing that we are responsible for our success. Yes, we have a responsibility to cultivate all the gifts and resources and opportunities God has given us. But we can't forget the source of the one who gave those opportunities, gave those abilities. It is God. He is the one. He's the owner. The reason why you are successful in the things that you are is because God has given you those opportunities and circumstances surrounding, as well as the ability to do what you do. We all receive these things by God's sovereign grace, and God is always the owner of all these things. They don't belong to us. We're just temporary managers. Now, the word steward, um, it means a manager, not an owner. In the New Testament, it would reflect a manager of a household, and the word economy comes from that word. When you think about in the Old Testament, you can think of Abraham's servant who went out to look for Isaac's wife. He was a steward who managed Abraham's property and his wealth and everything, including his family taking care. You can think of someone like Joseph on the Potiphar who was a steward. He managed everything that was pretty much entrusted. So how dare he consider the wife when the wife approached him? The steward's job was to manage the money and the properties, owned by the Lord faithfully. He's an asset manager. And we've, we've seen enough of examples when asset managers don't do these things, perhaps more recently than others. As a steward, we need to recognize that we don't own anything. We just get to manage it for God, for His approval. Yet the danger and the temptation is the longer you hold on to something that's not yours, the more we get attached to it and the harder it becomes to let go, recognizing that it was never ours to begin with. As God's steward, we are to manage God's treasure for His approval. And once we get this, and this is the most important question, whose is it is the most important question. All the other practical questions of what to do practically about crunching numbers, those are good, but you know, at the end, they don't really matter because even the world today operates with these basic biblical financial principles, and they succeed in the ways of the world. But for what? At the cost of losing their soul. Biblical stewardship essentially means that we are called to use God-given gifts and resources such as time, talent, and treasure, and more for the accomplishment of God given commission of making disciples of all nations. The hardest part about this is the accountability part. The biggest challenge for us. um, Now, when we see in the news of things of this sort where people are not being held accountable or we want to see accountability, we are right there. We want to see it. But however, the hardest shift is seeking our accountability for what He has entrusted us. To shift from thinking, well, I earned it, I get to use it to actually God has given it to me and I need to seek His wishes and His will in managing His resources for His approval. To recognize that He cares what I do with these things He's entrusted me. That I slow down, that I dare to necessarily ask Him, consult Him about the way we use the resources. A good fiduciary always cares about the manager's wishes, wants to make sure that his the owner's wishes are fulfilled. The famous passage, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, is a parable that has many teaching points, but primarily about the kingdom of God. But it also teaches us quite a bit about financial principle on stewardship. You're probably familiar, but if I were to just recap, in the first couple of verses from 14 through 18, the master distributes talent according to their ability. To one, he gives five, one, he gives two, one, he gives one. And the response when these servants um, go to do their work, when he, re- when he returns, the master returns, um, his response to those who'd been entrusted with five and two as they made five more and two more are the same. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's an emphasis we notice. What delights the master is their faithfulness to what's been entrusted. And the master gives more. He entrusts the servant more. There's this future responsibility that comes when you've been faithful with little that you've been given. In contrast, in verses 24 through 27, you have that one servant, and the adjectives that are described to see who he's like, he's evil and lazy. He didn't do anything. He could have given it to the bank and made some interest, but he didn't do that. What did he do? He just dug it and land and hid it away. He wasn't active. He wasn't faithful. Instead, he was living by his feelings of fear instead of, in the truth, knowing that the mass is going to come back and will want to be held accountable to what he has given him. When we acknowledge that God owns it all, when we are ready to accept that we are temporary stewards of his resources, we begin to recognize that financial decision, whether you Like it or not, every financial decision is a spiritual decision because we are utilizing His stuff. What the Master says we should do is ultimately what we should seek. When was the last time we prayed and just asked God, Lord, is this something you would desire? God wants us to provide for our family If we don't, we're worse than unbelievers, pagans. It's not that we shouldn't. We should. But we dare to ask the owner what his wishes are. Imagine, and this might be more stressful as Christmas gets closer and closer. Imagine a stranger takes a look at your bank statements or your credit card statements. And tries to decipher what's really important to you. What would they identify when they go through your statements? Are you comfortable with what they would discover? I've seen some faces just right now. Um, it Maybe, maybe not. You see, this week we celebrated Thanksgiving, yet even now it's not Black Friday, it's started way before um, the culture we live in aggressively tells us to be discontent with what we already have. Companies spend billions of dollars trying to tell us that our lives will be better if we own their products, that our lives right now is not good enough. And naturally, with that, we grow in this feeling of discontentment. Well, like, I turn anything on, turn my phone on, Siri hears what I say and tells me what I should buy because I've been talking about what I want. When we value eternity, when we value eternity, we begin to realize that enough is found in God and God alone, that Christ is enough, that 80 plus years of life here, really at the end, can't compare to what awaits for us in eternity. There are many things that Bible can teach us about money. I want to just talk about three uses of money. One use is it serves as a tool. Um, money can be used to accomplish God's objectives. And money can also be used to teach us to learn to be content. It can teach us to rely on God. And it can be used to buy things for our family and others. Pastor Eugene um, preached to us from Philippians 4. And the part that really stood out to me that I've been rummaging through is what it means to learn. Because contentment isn't something that just naturally happens. We live with our eyes, and there's a reason why you have the 10th commandment. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. We are so affected by what we see, we, it's really hard not to covet when our eyes see other things that other people possess. All the other 10 commandments, it's easier to measure when you break them, but God includes the 10th commandment, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's stuff. And this contentment isn't something that happens naturally. It is something we have to learn as, we, as God gives us a lot and also as God gives us little. When people of God recognize God's ownership and give generously as stewards, then we can begin to support local churches, missionaries, and parachurch ministries to expand God's kingdom in fulfilling the Great Commission. When God gives much, we can and we need to learn to be content, not wanting more, because you always want more, even when God gives you much. But when God gives you much, we still need to learn to be content. And what, when God gives us little, we also need to learn to be content, trusting His goodness and sovereignty. In both cases, we still need to learn. Because that contentment doesn't happen by itself. Apostle Paul had to learn to grow in contentment when he had a lot and when he had nothing. Because at the end of the day, we have eternity just around the corner. Money can also be used as a tool as we prayerfully seek God's guidance in providing for our family needs and others. But the basics are still there. We need to... um, Save for the future, for the rainy day. We need to spend less than you make and stay away from debt, which I failed to do when I began. Second um, way that money can be used, it serves as a test. And this is kind of a scary. And this is the one that I failed when I began my adult life. In Luke 16, 10, it tells, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much can we be trusted with what we've been given right now are we being a good steward seeking to please god when he looks at our accounts would he be pleased and that test can happen again when you have a lot and when you have little and that f that i got in the beginning of my adult life it was a it revealed to god that i wasn't trustworthy to Be given more? What loving parent in their right mind would entrust their child with more when they can't even handle the little that they've been given? Why would the Almighty loving God entrust me with more to manage if I couldn't manage the little that He was starting me with? What loving parent would give their teenager who's just learning how to drive? A brand new Lambo or Ferrari with 500 horsepower. Even if they could afford to, they wouldn't because it would kill them. The sheer power of such a vehicle would kill that teenager because they can't handle. The loving parent would give them a good, reliable, safe car to start off. Are you being faithful with what the Lord has given you? Do you seek to know God's will? Or do you find yourself just spending, not realizing something else might be going on in your heart, as it did when I was working? When you look at your finances, do you see disorganization, a mess? Do you have no idea where God's money is being spent? Do you spend more than you make? Are you enslaved in debt? It's not a good place to be in debt knowing that your future income is already accounted for because you already need to pay the one that you owe to? Or are you growing in generosity? Are you spending wisely? Are you spending less than you earn? Are you positioned to be a steward that can be used for God's glory? And finally, another use of money is that we can serve as Uh, As a testimony, Matthew 5, this isn't talking about money, but um, 5.13 reads, "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be, what, thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house.'" In the same way, let your light shine before others so that what? They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How could your use of money provide a testimony to other people about God's goodness? The way you and I handle the money He has entrusted us can be a testimony to those around us. It can be a good testimony so that they praise God, or it could be a bad testimony. Our willingness to trust God when we have little will be a great testimony of our true trust in Him. And our ability to share generously, sacrificially even, when God gives us much, will be an amazing testimony to the unbelieving world that Jesus, what He preaches, what He taught about the kingdom and eternity is absolutely true. I think a bit back, I mentioned a name of Humphrey Monmouth. But most people don't know, most people don't remember. He's one of the unsung heroes of faith um, back in the 16th century. I mean, we know people rightly, like Luther, Calvin. But Zwingli, excuse me, Zwingli, Humphrey Monmouth uh, was a wealthy merchant. He made a fortune in the cloth business. And how did he play a significant part? Well, it was with his relationship with William Tyndale, the father of the English Bible. You see, Tyndale pioneered the translation of Scripture into English before it was only in Latin, only available to the priests. And he took time and energy to translate from the original language of Greek and Hebrew to the English language, and eventually was martyred for this because it was illegal, illegal to do so, And he died in 1536. Though he died, much of his work, actually, eventually, although it was illegal when he did the work, eventually gets used about 90% in the King James translation. Against the law, Humphrey Monmouth supported um, the translation work, and Tyndale I mean, he needed more than just a textbook and inspiration. He needed food. He needed a place to stay. He needed clothes. He needed an income. And that's exactly what Monmouth did. He provided the room, board, financial support. And with that work, um, Tyndale was able to translate the New Testament in six months. Eventually, he had to flee England to Europe. Um, but he couldn't have done this without the patronage of Monmouth. Humphrey also introduced Tyndale to a secret society of London merchants called the Christian Brethren, and it was this um, society that eventually financed and imported Christian literature to kind of birth this reformation in England. Tyndale's personal financial support and the cost of printing the Bible eventually was financed out of this group, and the Bibles that he translated were smuggled back into England so that the British or English could read it. The kingdom of God requires, yes, reformers, preachers, teachers like Calvin and Luther, but also businessmen and businesswomen who are faithful to serve God in their work, like Monmouth. The work of Tyndale is great, but the contribution of Monmouth is not any less spiritual. He recognized that what God has blessed him with wasn't for him alone, for his family alone, was given to him to expand the kingdom work for his glory. Jesus and his disciples, guess how they were funded for their three years of ministry? Well, it was generous women like Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. They were the ones who financed the ministry and supported. In the book of Acts, we get to see people like Priscilla and Aquila, this business couple who hosted a church, who came along with Apollos and partnered with Apostle risking their lives, and we get to see patrons like Priscilla and Aquila, but also a patron who supported the writing of the gospel of Luke, Theophilus, who sponsored, patronized Luke, the doctor, to do the research, to write the gospel and the book of Acts, so that we get to hear and remember God's faithfulness in these people's lives. Brothers and sisters, if you're feeling like you've allowed money to control you, to master you, and you've been enslaved, you feel like you've failed the test of money, like I did, or that your use of money has been a bad testament, don't beat yourself up, but look to Christ. Look to the gospel, because his death pays, paid and covers us all. But he saves us. As he saves us, he demands lordship. He's not just the savior, but he's the Lord. And the Lord owns it all. And he demands that we give up what we've been holding so tightly and recognize his ownership, that we are temporary managers. That's the most important question. Whose is it? Whose is it? When we get that, we'll get the heart God will get our heart. And as we get, as we give a heart, then the next rational, reasonable step is to learn to manage better. But you can't just manage better because the managing part doesn't deal with the heart. Turn to Christ. Acknowledge that everything belongs to Him. Manage what He's been entrusted you with. And be faithful. Live this short life with the goal of hearing good job, faithful servant, because we can't take anything with us when we pass away. Be humble and continue to learn. You know, this perspective of worldview, the cultural worldview about money and biblical worldview on money, we need to get that shift because perspective is everything. Think about the The Israelites and the 12 spies Moses sent out to the promised land to check it out. They were supposed to observe, they're supposed to gather info and report back. Ten of them came back, were amazed and terrified by these giants. Um, They were massive and they were terrified. In contrast, you have two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And by the way, these two end up entering the promised land. What do they say? They say, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. It's like, how could these ten men see things so differently than these two? Well, ultimately, the, the ten who were terrified and considered themselves as grasshoppers in contrast to these giants saw the strength of the opponent. They could only see that. But Joshua and Caleb, they were able to see the strength of God. This perspective of ownership is the most important part as Christians. My prayer and hope is that you get that. Brothers and sisters, God owns everything. You and I, we're temporary stewards. When we examine how we spend our money, recognize that it is a measure and reflection of our true priorities. Be honest Recognize that every sp- spending decision we partake in is a spiritual decision. Do it wisely, prayerfully. And here's the scary part: God can take whatever he wants. God can give what he wants, God can also take it away. And when we recognize that, we'll be able to live with greater freedom, with eternity in our mind. Give generously. Build margin for the unexpected. I think today's industry, this time, reminds of that than anything else. Set long-term goals prayerfully. Spend less than you earn, and avoid the use of debt. You can be financially free. You could be financially independent in this life for 30, 50, 60 years, but still lose your soul. And miss eternity with God. Martin Luther wrote, Therefore we are to use all these things upon earth in no other way than as a guest who travels through the land and comes to a hotel where he must lodge overnight. He takes only food and lodging from the host, and he says not that the property of the host belongs to him, just so should we also treat our temporal possessions as if they were not ours, and enjoy only so much of them as we need to nourish the body and then help our neighbors with the balance. Thus the life of the Christian is only a lodging for the night, since we have here no continuing city, but must journey on to heaven where the Father is I always enjoy the conversations that I, I have with some of you guys. Um, you guys come to me sometimes formally, informally, and ask about your personal financial questions. I, um, and with all the discussions that we have, they tend to be practical questions. But brothers and sisters, remember, as you think about all those pra- practical implications and considerations, as important as they are, Make sure you take time to pray. Ask the Lord, the owner of all things, are you pleased with what I'm going to decide to do? Take the time to slow down and ask the owner his intentions. Because what we don't want to do is just simply do something because it's practical, simply because the world is pressuring us to do it. We want to do what the master owner desires for us. Let us pray. Though we confess that we often operate with the culture's worldview on money instead of the biblical worldview, that you own it all. Not just the trees and all the animals on this planet, but everything in our bank account and in our homes. Lord, forgive us and change our perspective so that we are aligned to yours. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we we try to find or measure our success, our security, or our significance in having more money. Grant us the grace to live with such eternal perspective that will help us learn to be content, storing up treasures in heaven instead of here on earth. Lord, yes, you want us to provide for our families, but grant us the grace to always ask what you want us to do with your resources instead of assuming. We acknowledge your ownership of our time, our talents, and our treasures, relationships, and all other resources you have entrusted us. Help us to steward all these things, seeking your directions and your approval through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.